0: Here's the great news. If you master this objection, if you find a way through that obstacle, guess what? Everyone else is feeling the same way you are right now. They're getting shut down but they're, they're not on this call. <laughs> so if you find your way through it, it's fine. Let them muddy the water because it just creates a more impactful contrast when you show up saying the right thing.
1: Well, very good. Thank you, Chad. That, that all helped. It helped a lot. I really appreciate that because I was not knowing what to say to get them to let me buy that point, you know? And I've lost a few calls that way. It got shut down too quickly.
2: Welcome, extraordinary agents and investors from across the country. Today is Thursday, September 17th, 2020, and this is mastermind call number 296. Share wins with us. Inspire the rest of this great group that comes every week. Nothing's out of bounds, and we have two in the queue, so let's go to our first caller this week. is phone number ending in 0306 in Austin, Texas.
3: I am so glad to be here. Nothing big question. Just wanted to kind of share with you my experience of what your advice from last week. I implemented and I would say I have good three, four days of full work where we spent 90 to 100 minutes on the probate work, which is meaningful work, which means to call out, have meaningful conversations, have meaningful follow-up. And I'm just happy to announce that we got three solid, very nice leads, and we are finally getting callbacks from people saying, hey, it seems like you guys do power of attorney work and lost wills, and so people are starting to call back and it's starting to flow. So I just wanted to share with you guys, I implemented rather than 90 minutes, I did 100 minutes, so at 10 minutes, I can kind of listen to you guys' mastermind calls to warm up my head, then stick to at least good 90 minutes. What I was looking for is meaningful relationships, so the conversation is not about setting an appointment. It's actually thinking, is this the person I can serve the best, and would it qualify for uh, ultimate testimonial at the end? So I just want to say thank you. It's working. I'm very happy with my one-week results, and I will bring more numbers. That's
0: amazing. You're a heck of an action taker. Thank you for sharing with everybody, Rosie. You're a great example.
3: Thank you, Chad. Thank you. And I did another estate sale interview that I will be posting. Please, no, I just want to take a moment and say I'm openly sharing on um, the group because I'm really wanting to uh, be open of feedback and kind of helps me get over my own fears, too, in one or the other way, you know. When I get to be in front of you guys, good, bad, whatever feedback I get, it boosts my confidence. So I thank you so much, everyone, for participating and giving me the word. It allows me and encourages me to go after more. I'm looking forward to bring some big numbers. Thank you. Awesome.
0: awesome.
2: Thank you. awesome. She's <laughs> op- openly, well
0: openly sharing her best work to get better. So that's awesome.
2: Rosie, you're not lacking in energy and enthusiasm, and it's obvious why you're doing as well as you do. So please, keep coming back and sharing. That's a great way to start the call. All right, next up is another enthusiastic person, Rebel. You're up next.
1: Wow, you just knew that was my number, huh?
2: <laughs> yep, got it memorized. I just
1: wanted to call and say hi and uh, let you know that
2: we did get a
1: cell and everything off all the letter, actually, the mail-outs that you do. Wonderful. Just a little place, you know, and actually it was a friend that left it to her, but it was just pretty cool to have one that went all the way through, and it it was not on the market long. I think it was on there for seven days. We got it sold and closed on it not too long ago. The things that you offer do work.
0: So what services did you end up providing? Was it a very simple deal? How did it compare to any other listing?
1: It was very simple. It was just a little house that really needed to be mowed down. It was an investment property. An investor actually ended up buying it. The house did not have any AC, but I mean, it was a really easy, easy sale. It really was. cash
0: conversion cycle was inside of like 60 days. All was done. So you made contact, listed it, sold it probably in a matter of a couple of weeks.
1: Yes. Yes. There was a three-week close. So that was all in a 30-day.
0: Yeah. We get used to looking at what other realtors are doing and it's like, oh, man. I mean, who doesn't want the $700,000 listing that needs no improvements whatsoever? It's just ready to go to market. But... You know, with those, it takes us longer to sell those, and you work a lot harder for that commission. With probates, a lot of times, like your story is very typical. I would say over 90% of mine went that way. So you list it as where is, and you get offers with no contingencies, cash closings, somewhere within two weeks to 30 days. For me, it was easier than wholesaling. I was just doing it on MLS, as is where it is. You can do a high volume of them very quickly with a lot less work than it would take on a conventional listing. And I think the reason I'm highlighting that is a lot of times we talk about more complex things on these calls, and I think some people are intimidated by some of the more advanced things we discuss, but this is an everyday deal. These are the ones that roll through consistently. There's deferred maintenance. There's motivation. There are people looking for that type of inventory. They're great. But I'm betting a landlord bought it. Am I right?
1: Oh yeah, he was yeah. a builder also, so it was more yeah. for the land and it was over there in
0: Lakeland.
1: It needed to be mowed down and a new house built, but I don't know what he did with it. I haven't went back over there to look, but yeah, the lady we met out of it, we're hoping to get more clients from her because she ended up turning out almost like family. Every time I went to the lady's house, I was leaving with food and drinks and oh my goodness gracious, <laughs> the sweetest lady I could have ever met during this, okay?
4: <laughs> now, <laughs>
1: really, say really.
0: Rosie... Listen, and Rebel, I don't know if you were on last week's call, but Rosie was looking for purpose to build prospecting discipline and her purpose became getting six amazing video testimonials. And I would encourage you to do the same, especially while that person holds you in such high regard. And while they feel like you've relieved a lot of their stress, reciprocate. Take her a pan of muffins and be like, Hey, let's make a video or just jump on Zoom and do it but but capture that story.
1: She would do it for us. She fell in love with me and my partner and so that's a great idea. I will definitely go do that.
0: Don't be afraid to go long form and then edit it down into, you know, a two minute clip. But You can use the rest for B real. So over time you can build these kind of customer testimonial mashup videos, right? When you have 50 people just pull snippets from each of those and just capture everything you can about her experience, like get a great quote from her. Um, and then edit that down into a little testimonial highlight reel. Then you've got the whole conversation that you can use in the future. And something that, like I want to underscore, guys, I, I can't emphasize enough how important it is that when you get this right, you need to document that because nobody else is. Colette Myers does a good job of this. So if you go to colettesellshouston.com, she has a great probate website where she captures her testimonials and I would love to see everybody doing that because you do the work, you build these relationships and if you don't capture it and trust me, I'm not nearly as good at it as I, would, I should be either because it, it, it does take a commitment and it is uncomfortable sometimes, but it is worth so much when you can document their success as your service. It helps other people identify with you, especially when they're getting your letter, going to your website, trying to figure out who you are because it sounds too good to be true. And anyone else who sends a letter, I highly doubt that anyone else has gone to that level. So every time you have these success stories, please take the time to capture it.
1: I I liked how you said that because I think you can take a long video, put in what you need to for certain things and still have it for everything else that you need. That's a good, great idea, great idea. Thank you, Chad.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for sharing, uh, Rebel. And what was your question?
1: Oh, you're gonna laugh though. <laughs> All right. I do get some people calling me back and things like that. I have a pretty good ratio of people calling back. I really do. Or speaking to people. But I cannot get a lot uh buy a lot of them. I don't know. I think within the last couple of days we've gotten three that were serious, that I sent my information to. I'm I'm like your girl, Rose. I don't go for the appointment first. I go for the relationship first. But I can't get past this part of your line where if I could take something off of your plate, what would it be? I found Mm -hmm. that to be a great line. But people are like, look, what do you want? And I try to tell them what I'm offering or they just cut me off right there. Am I using it too early or what?
0: (laughs) No, there's other people muddying your water. So when they have an abrasive response like that, I want you to pay attention to the words you use, but say something like, it seems like it sounds like it feels like don't be accusatory. But what you want to do is is think about what emotion are they feeling that's driving this behavior. And how can I change that emotion? Probably what's happening is somebody's calling with an unskilled, self-interested, you know, like rookie wholesaler is calling, hammering them, trying to buy the house for 50 cents on the dollar, which is fine. Maybe that's what they want, but they want to do it on their own terms. Right? So they've learned to run those people off. If you can say, you know, it seems like you've gotten the wrong impression of what we do and what's crucial is that you shut your mouth, just absolute silence and that's the tool that becomes the lever in the conversation so it seems like you might be upset and and misunderstanding what what it is our team can do to help you and let that awkward silence let the awkward silence hang there and they're going to process and it's going to be more uncomfortable for them the silence than it is for you You've heard me probably recommend it before. Chris Voss in the book, Never, Never, Switched Never Switched. It, he calls this tactical empathy. So you focus on why they're behaving the way they are and then influence that. All you're trying to do is short circuit their nervous system to get them off the pattern that's become comfortable for them because they found a way to run people off by being a little abrasive. And you're not being accusatory. you're saying, it seems like you might have had some bad experiences and don't really understand why I'm calling.
1: Right, right, right. almost
0: impossible for them not to engage with you at that point. Oh,
1: that's fantastic. Okay, I'll try that now. That sounds good because they were cutting me right there. And some of them, I mean, it was just like, damn, I'm not quite using that line. But I know it's a good line. So (laughs) here's
0: the great news. If you master this objection, if you find a way through that obstacle, guess what? Everyone else is feeling the same way you are right now. They're getting shut down. But they're, they're not on this call. (laughs) So if you find your way through it, it's fine. Let them muddy the water because it just creates a more impactful contrast when you show up saying the right thing.
1: Well, very good. Thank you, Chad. That, that all helped. It helped a lot. I really appreciate that because I was not knowing what to say to get them to let me buy that point, you know, and I've lost a few calls that way got shut down too quickly. And uh, now let me ask you this, I guess, uh, because they don't know who called and who didn't call except for my name is Rebel. I could call them again (laughs) and try it again. (laughs) Is that something that should be done or not?
0: Yeah. Don't ever be afraid to re-engage. I mean, what happens if you don't call? You know that outcome, right?
1: Yep, I do. I do. No doesn't hurt. That's what I always say. So, all right. Well, then I might just get back with them again and, you know, I'll be like, now is there something I can take off your plate? And then if they shoot me down again, I know how to come back.
5: (laughs) So Rebel, if they start to shut you down or let's say that there isn't venom in it, but they say nothing or they say, no, everything's taken care of. Another really great approach, if there's not peace behind their answer is to say, you know what, Rebel, I I completely understand. As a matter of fact, I would feel the same way. But, you know, if there was something that I could take off your plate, what would it be? So they just told you that they didn't need anything, but, but then you follow it up with, I completely understand most people I talk to have things handled as well, but if there was something I could take off your plate, and all of a sudden, you'll get to the bottom of it. A lot of people will come out and they'll answer. I use I like this that. specifically a lot when it comes to people saying, no, we don't know what we're going to do with the house yet. Okay, I completely understand, but if you did know what you were going to do with the house, which way would you be leaning? And then they'll say, well, we're probably going to sell it next week. Well... You know why didn't they say that to begin with? But if they're just prepared with an answer like Chad said, they're accustomed to that approach working to shut people down, and they're they're not ready for the follow up question that really says that that asks the same thing.
1: I like that too. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you very much. That was a great idea too. I got that written down now <laughs> because they do do that. They go from the you know whenever the plate thing right into we've already got everything handled, <laughs> and it's like whoa. And so that helped a lot. So thank you. so. Yeah,
2: no, I was just going to say Rebel's the one to beat with her win of the week. And we do have eight in the queue, guys. We're going to have to book to get through y'all. The next up is phone number ending in 2858. You're up next.
6: Oh, hey, this is Rebecca. I think I was on this call about a month ago. I really don't have a question. I just, you know, work the probate area. I work actually everything but I can tell you one I'm working on right now that nobody else knows about. And it's more about just digging deep. Like that's kind of what I do is I never give up on a lead. And I do call them over and over again, unless they tell me to go jump off a cliff or something like that. But I have one right now. It's all boarded up. Okay. That's how I found it. I do walking for dollars, not driving for dollars as I walk six miles a day and I go to different neighborhoods. So, She died seven years ago. It's boarded up. There's no will. The 23rd person on the skip trace was her only living son. And so he didn't know where to start with probate. So that's what I'm doing is walking him through the process. I told him I'm not an attorney. I tried to get a pro bono attorney because they're supposed to do that in Colorado. They're supposed to give her their time, but I didn't have any luck with that with COVID going on. He doesn't even have his birth certificate or his mother's death certificate. So he's gotta get his birth certificate in Kansas City, get his mother's death certificate, and then I'm gonna go over with him to court and hopefully get him an informal appointment as personal rep. It only cost him one hundred and ninety nine bucks plus I think it's twenty dollars for the letters. And so the house has about two hundred thousand. It's a little small house. I mean it's probably twelve hundred square feet, but it's got about 200000 in equity. I, I do want to be fair to them. You know, he keeps asking me because it's got a reverse mortgage on it. That's a whole other story with a fraud case with Wells Fargo. But anyway, I just don't give up. I just really am strong on the relationships. And this is the truth that let's say something happens and I don't end up with this house. Maybe we have to do a short sale and the numbers don't work. I don't worry about that because I know that I have built a relationship with them. And I know that they're already telling me like no one's taken this time. You know, no one's really talked to them about the house because I think people give up. That's why, because it took me quite a while to find the person I needed to find. And then so that's all I really have to say. If everything goes well in the next three weeks, it should be all done. That's awesome. So what what part of Colorado are you in? I work all of Colorado, but I'm in in basically the Denver metro area is what I work. And then I also work in Oklahoma. So I have a home in both places, and I come up here for three months, and and I rent my house out to nurses while I'm gone. It's not Airbnb. It's nurses that are travel nurses, so that way I don't have to worry about regular renters in here. I have a criminal justice background also, and the other thing is I've been through this with my family. I lost three family members in a five-year period. I feel like maybe I'm almost over-empathetic with people, but I guess the thing that bugs me about people that bug people that have an inherited house or probate house is they go after it right after they die, and... I I just don't tolerate that. There's all kinds of things. Like my parents had everything organized. It was in a trust, it was simple. It still took us a year and a half.
0: So there's a lot to unpack here. I want to, for the benefit of everybody else, I wanna highlight a few things. You are probably the most disadvantaged person on this call because of your your market. So Colorado, because so, so many people were so aggressive at pursuing families, They actually season their probate data. So it comes through late. However, people with your mindset, like people who have empathy and compassion, they do really well in Colorado. And I want you guys to pay attention to the, the, what's the common thread running through all of these, these motivating stories today. It's, it's about relationships and letting the consumers need dictate the service, not trying to force them into a, you know, into your model. So you can hit your numbers and your KPIs. This is about slowing down, providing a real service to your community and getting the result that you want, anyways. It's just in a in a different way, right? So Colorado is the toughest state I've ever coached in. It's the toughest state we've ever had to write letter <laughs> yeah. we've ever had to write letters for. It is and the, the cash conversion cycle is longer, but it's because these people get a ton of pressure on the front and there's no compassion whatsoever. It's give me your house as cheap as I can get it. And this goes on for for a while, then everyone else just stops, and they're out harassing new people. So our folks who think like you do, who act like you do, that come through you know they're they're still breaking a two thousand percent r o i in the toughest market in the country to do probate in they're still exceeding a two thousand percent r o i so pay attention to what what these ladies today have shared with you, what's working for them. It works anywhere and everywhere. If it works in Colorado, it works anywhere. And the the other thing (laughs) is like your tenacity, like your willingness to follow up. I don't know if you watched, you know, David Pinnell's update video we did a few weeks ago, but that's really his X factor. The, The seven digit secret in probate is actually care and follow up, follow up, follow up. And if you do, you'll catch them when, when they need your help, they will respond. And and you don't really have any competition if that's how you're doing business.
6: I am a woman on her own island here. Let me put it that way. <laughs> I've been doing this 10 years, and I was in criminal justice for five of those, so kind of doing this on the side. So went into it. None of this stuff phases me, guys. <laughs> like I can't even... You know, people say, oh, that house has – I'm like, you know, you're you're scared of a house that has stuff in it? you got to be kidding me. (laughs) And so it just doesn't – I don't want to say it doesn't faze me, but nothing surprises me in this business. No family situation. I I can always figure it out if they just work with me. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, something crazy can happen, and another investor might come along. That I just don't worry about it because I know I've done the best I can – and, you know, she the wife kept asking me last night, how much are we going to owe you? I said, you're, you're not paying me anything. I'm just buying the house. She said, like, you're doing all this work for us? For... I said, yeah. I said, you know, I, I want to help you guys. Like, you're getting liens on that house every month by the city.
5: I a lot
0: of people struggle with the objection of, you know, well, well how much is this going to cost me? How, how are you getting paid? And I want, I want everyone to pay attention. That's not a bad objection. That's a good objection because what it shows you is demonstrating the amount of perceived value you already have in their mind. So when they're like, Holy crap, what is this going to cost me? That means you're, you're on the right track. You're doing it. Don't, and this isn't necessarily for you, but for anyone else who's listening, that's getting this objection. If you're getting a price objection or how much is this going to cost me? That's a good Mm -hmm. check-in point. That means you're on track because they, they, They have a desire to work with you. They have, because of their conditioning, in a capitalist society, they're thinking, well, this sounds too good to be true. It's going to cost an arm and a leg. And that's a great opportunity for you to drive home another value point. We don't get paid a dime until we do what we promise. Or if you're the buyer, you know, we'll get paid in in six or eight months when we finish this house and, and turn the keys over to a new homeowner, we'll be paid in due time. But I learned a long time ago. The best way to get what I want is to help enough other people get what they want. So would it be okay if you don't pay me anything
6: right now? It it has to be in your heart and soul. I mean, having been through this myself and we've got so many lawyers in our family, that's why I don't flip houses with my brothers because we probably couldn't even decide on the color of paint for a living room.
0: Let me ask you this, Are you? and I'm kind of putting you on the spot here in front of everybody, but Are you happy with the growth in your business? Like, is it growing the way you thought? Do you feel good about Um, that?
6: I've kind of pivoted. I mean, I'll I'll tell you honestly, I worked the MLS pretty hard. I I went from doing private sellers into really just full-time MLS. I'm not an agent, but I had agents that put in the offers for me. Then as I've moved along, what happens is I have agents that call me with a house that they're struggling with, believe it or not, in Denver, or they're saying, you know, can you come in but X amount? I won't list it, but this is what we need to get for this. And so, you know, it may be a probate house or divorce, or it's usually something going on. I've been focusing on vacant houses. That's my primary thing. And code enforcement. And a lot of them are probate. Like nine times out of 10, or it's a tired landlord inherited, or they live out of state, or they're like this family, you know, and he just, they just didn't know what to do. That's what the whole problem was. I I think that it was overwhelming for them to start. And that's why I love helping other investors, you know, that maybe don't understand the process of what it takes, whether it's a divorce or probate or whatever it
0: might be. It seems like there's there's some doubt like you're going deep and you're building a, a real relationship and providing a, a very high level of service. The only time that would be bad is if you're doing going on 4-hour appointments and you're out there, you know, spending hours and hours and hours to to do this. But if we just narrow it down to that one deal, you've got $200,000 in equity, I think you said, right? Right. So Relative to that outcome, that two hundred thousand dollar income to you to your company, how many hours of work do you think you'll do to get to that two hundred grand?
6: Well, to be honest with you, I haven't even met them in person at all. This has just been on the phone. So I would say I have maybe about two hours in it right now.
0: Okay, and then you have all I the work to flip it to get to that.
6: Yeah, yeah. I would I would I call. Clerk of court out there, and they're all shut down because of COVID. So, when I called the clerk, the probate clerk, you know, I said, Look, I've called all these lawyers. This family doesn't have the money. And all these clinics, and she kind of walked me through. I said, This is what it is. Can he do this, you know, without going to court? And she said, It sounds like he can, but he's got to show up out here and all that. And she'll do it in 30 minutes, you know. So, that was a release. I mean, hopefully he won't have to have a court hearing or anything. It'll just be his birth certificate, her death certificate
0: to do it. Well, what I heard was you have a need for validation on how you're doing this. And I don't hear anything that makes me think this is a bad idea for you. You're out there. You're being true to your core value based on your life experience. And you're going deeper than most people do or will. But look at the net result of that. You're making a tremendous amount of, of,
6: of... I'm not the only one that saw this boarded up house. I have another one out in Lakewood and I sold that in like two hours. So you, you get the ones like this and then the next one you get so easy. So it kind of levels out is what I'm trying to say, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's
0: important to me. Like I I love when people like you become part of our community and it's important to me that you don't doubt yourself because it sounds like you're doing great work. And you're getting a great result. What you're doing is really helpful, and you're making a ton of money doing it. So keep doing that.
2: (laughs) Hey, Becca, thank you so much. It sounds like you'd be a great case study for Chad as far as the motivation and the mindset. Man, you've got it. I really appreciate you sharing. Thank you.
5: Thank
2: you. All right. Next up is phone number ending in 2450. You're up next.
4: Hey, guys. How are you doing? Great. I, I wanted to share number one, a success story. And number two, I have a question for you. So my, my success story, I, I sent out my first mailings. I'm now in my second or third month now, something like that. But I got a deal off my first mailings. Uh, it's, it's a listing agreement. I'm a licensed realtor and an investor. And it's really cool to see that happen as quickly as the first letter, which I did not expect whatsoever. So that was cool. And I'm finding a lot of ways to help that particular family navigate the process and the listing will will be going live in about one week. So I'm helping them with a lot of things other than just listing the house, which serves them well because I come from a contracting background. Anyway, I'm excited. So I have a question. I'm a licensed realtor. I'm working with another lead. I have a great rapport with them, a good relationship with them. I've met with them twice in person and we're down to the nuts and bolts of making an offer on the property or and they accept that offer or we list it and try to get out a higher dollar amount by listing it. How do you navigate that process where you're trying to wear both hats? Don't.
0: So I started doing this as an investor. And when I saw that I wasn't going to get it for the price that I needed to as an investor, I would try to switch to my realtor hat in the appointment. And you Uh can literally hear rapport shatter and fall on the floor. I, it just—I uh-huh. never found a really effective way to do it. And I've worked with other wholesalers who, you know, they send their leads to me, and I try to just be the realtor, and they're just the investor. What I uh-huh. ultimately figured out is I just need to focus on being Chad. And when I walk through that front door, I don't have an outcome for me in mind. The outcome is all about them. So whether I buy it or whether I list it, it doesn't matter because I'm gonna monetize that either way. And I will say I've walked away from a lot of houses with signed listing agreements, and I was very disappointed because I wanted to buy them. But always let their needs dictate the the strategy. From a marketing standpoint, if you're offering brokerage services in your letter, if it says we can list the home, meet the minimal compliance requirements. For me, that's just in a light gray number eight font in the footer of the letter. It has my brokerage name, address, phone number, and then asterisk. Ethics are of utmost important to us if you have an agency relationship with a licensed real estate agent, please disregard this letter. And that's been enough to protect me. I have had complaints when I've you know, mailed letters to someone who already had their property listed. But the board, the state board was like, nope, you're good. And so that Ooh, covered me. Interesting. The okay. point where I disclose license status is I focus on people and situation. Even when I get to the house, I don't disclose in my state. You're not required to disclose really until you start discussing numbers or you know agency issues. So if that's we're right. talking about the, the personal property, walking through the house, the only thing I'm focused on is building and reinforcing rapport with the person I was on the phone with and building rapport with everyone else that's present. And then when we get back, I, have, I teach in mastery. I show you exactly how I do this. But when we get back to where we first started in the home, I literally just Walk out of the room without saying a word, and open the folder and put it on the counter, and then I, that's when I'll disclose. The initial phone call happens, the property tour happens. I give them a voice and get all their concerns out or all their expectations out, and then I actually will disclose. There's there's a chance that that you know before we jump into, into numbers and, and other things and make decisions, I just want to let you guys know there's a chance that we may be working together in an agency capacity. I am a licensed mm-hmm. real estate agent in four, in four different states. I'm not sure how we're going to be working together, but all that matters to me is that we're working together. Does That sound good to everybody. Mm-hmm. And I'll go through it. something like kind of casually like that. It happens at the same time in every appointment. So when the investigator called me, I'm like, no, oh, actually this was on the letter. We met mm-hmm. or, you know, actually in that case, I didn't meet with them. It was another agent that got bothered that their client got my letter, but I've never had any, any complaint from the clients or the families. But if I ever did, I have a pretty clear process, right? So the letter had mm-hmm. the disclosure requirements, the website meets the disclosure requirements, and before I ever discussed price or strategy, I disclose license status and I do it at the same time, every time. So that's how I found that to be really fluid and you're very nimble when you do it that way. If you remove the title of realtor or investor and just be you, um, then you're very nimble and you can be a transaction engineer on the spot. And it's never been a problem for me. Once I figured that out, this became a lot more fun and a whole lot
4: easier. Interesting. So after you've built that rapport and You've disclosed this in your conversation and meeting with them. How do you navigate going about what's best for them, whether it be a cash offer on the property to get it sold quickly or listing it? Do you offer them an option for both? Like here's a cash offer price and here's a suggested listing price, for example.
0: Nearly every appointment I go on has three options, sometimes four or five. The three that I can offer pretty much anyone is a cash sale. And as is, where is sale, my definition of that is at what price can I all but guarantee this will be a ratified agreement in seven days or less and close within 30. And then retail. So, you know, you use your retail price. Now, if the house is in disrepair and they're willing to put money into it or they're willing to partner with me, then there could be a fourth scenario. So you could have cash as is, current retail or renovation retail, like top ARV. But I use a net sheet and you can find it in all the Leads Mastermind Facebook group and files, Mm -hmm. or you can find it in subscriber portal. There's a net sheet template and it's just a Mm -hmm. very simple spreadsheet and it puts the three scenarios side by side. So quite honestly, I rarely ever use it but it's there in case I need to. It's a great visual tool to show them. So based on all this information gathering and focusing on people and situation and asking questions, getting them to tell me stories, like the rapport building is, it's its Intel, right? <laughs> like i am I'm learning what their problems are, what their goals are, and they don't even know it. If it's done correctly, it's just Organic conversation, but when we get back to the countertop and I open the blue folder, all those stories are in my head, and I know what you know what their challenges are, what what they're capable of, how much money's in the bank account, how much equity is in the property. So, so you know, guys, listen. Based on everything we've talked about, it sounds like there's really no cash, and you guys don't want to go through the stress of a renovation. So, this you know retail price based on the condition of the home, I I just feel like is is really not an option. Wouldn't would you guys agree with that? And then I strike through it and uh, like so that leaves us with two scenarios we have an as is where is sale which means we won't accept any contingencies it's going to greatly limit the pool of buyers we'll most likely sell this to a landlord or a first time home buyer that has saved up for a down payment you know to renovate the home so we can get a higher price. It's going to take longer. We could expect a 45-day window here. Based on everything you've told me, it's really important that you guys get this behind you now so you can move forward. I'm not sure if this one works for you. I think what might be best based on you know your level of motivation is just take the cash price. We'll buy it with everything in it. You don't have to lift a finger. You take what personal property you want and we'll deal with the rest. And within probably three to five business days, we could have this closed at this price. Which of those two do you think is best for you? Which feels most comfortable? And they'll self-select right there. And the highly, highly motivated ones will always, they'll go to the cash. And even though you show them what they have to lose, kind of illustrate it for them. It's like, you know, in order to get this price over here on the right, you're going to have to risk a considerable amount of capital. You're going to have to go through, you know, the, the management of the renovation and you're going to take risk. We're in a market where, you know, during an election year, during a recession, Something, you know, conditions could change. So there's a significant amount of risk involved to get this number. Are you guys comfortable with that risk? Okay, let's just say that that's not an option. If you don't want that exposure, you don't have to do it. So you just kind of knock them, you know, through, through deduction, you find out what's best for them, and they feel like they chose because you gave them all the options in a very transparent way. And the net result of that is ultimate trust. When I started buying houses this way versus just going in as an investor and, and mentioning, Oh yeah, I'm a realtor. If this doesn't work out, I can help you. Like the the people I worked with, the sellers were so much more trusting and open. And even when you wholesale it and they see that someone else is closing and you're getting a fifteen twenty $25,000 spread, They don't care because you were straightforward with them. You're transparent and they know what they could have gotten, but they knew they understood what commitment and risk it would take to get that. So that's how I do it. Bruce, I know you had something to to add to
5: all my appointments, I take a menu with me and that menu (coughs) typically has three or four options. And Chad mentioned sometimes up to five or six. It really reduces the risk of them going with someone else. It reduces the risk of price resistance because ultimately they're the one in control. Many times we get in the way of their buying. So the the old adage says, everybody loves to buy, but nobody likes to be sold. So instead of butting into their buying process, asking questions and presenting options and letting them choose. And then when they say, well, you know what, we're thinking about maybe this one or that option. Instead of saying, okay, let's sign right here or let me try to sell you on something, you say, okay, which which one is more beneficial or, or why is it that you're leaning toward those? And let them start the buying process instead of us diving in and starting the selling process. A good sales pitch is a great way to ruin a relationship.
4: Gotcha. That's really useful and helpful. I appreciate both your input. Good deal. Hey, I said
7: I can ask my question. I don't know if Jim's on here. Okay. Just to, just to give people the testimonial, I was doing what David Pennell said, look professional and set yourself apart from everybody else. So anyway, I've been dressing more professionally. I wear a button up shirt, nice dress shoes, nice jeans, showed up with the flyer that all the leads made for me and gave it to the guy, walked through. Not sure if the deal's going to work out or not. He's looking for the highest cash offer. And I gave him a number. I tried to give him a listing number and an owner finance number, but he didn't want to take any of those, but he was like, you know what? You weren't this cigar smoking, suspender slapping kind of guy. who's just trying to sell me on something. And he was like, I really
0: appreciate that. Good, good for you. And, And anyone who, I won't recap everything, but David and I, we've talked about that twice now. I usually wear jeans, a button up, a sport coat, and a pair of really nice leather shoes that i know has gotten me deals because people have told me that and it's meeting the expectations of the generation you're serving so these people didn't come up at a time where they watch Gary V you know, wear a t-shirt and, and drop the F bomb every 30 seconds. So they have a certain expectation of what, what standard of professionalism you should have. So whether that's how you dress all the time or not, you know, be authentic to yourself, but outdress your competition because it will make a difference. The other thing I wanted to say, Eddie, is the next time you find yourself in that, that situation, a lot of times sellers have a perception and, and a lot of investors are marketing using that uh, against realtors. That it, it's complicated. No realtors involved. No commissions paid. Yada yada yada. It's it's a big part of their marketing, right? So remind him what an as-is, where-is sale looks like. You know, most most investors are are going to close on a thirty-day timeline. If you're selling as-is, where-is, in a market site like in the part of the market cycle we're in, can you close it in thirty days? Sure, you can. People are falling all over themselves to to get inventory right now, investors and consumers. So. Remind him that it, that it doesn't have to be painful. Like, listen, I, you know, e- either way we can close inside of 30 days. This way you get more money. This way I get more money. Which do you think is best for you? And I, I've taken a lot of as is where is listings where I was going to be cut out on the cash price because there's no way in hell I was paying what that person was paying and they weren't going to make any money either. They just wouldn't know that for three or four months until they did their final accounting, but sometimes newer investors will price you out of deals. And you can take that deal back by pushing on the as is, where is, and showing them that they can close on the same timeline with the same amount of money with no contingencies and without the risk of that person using the weasel clause. So point them to the contingencies in the contract and be like, okay, so they gave you that number, but did you pay attention to the contingencies? Well, What's a contingency? Well, that's that's what, you know, oftentimes they'll write a contract in such a way that if they can't sell it or come up with the money that they don't have right now, they'll pull the ripcord and you're left empty handed. You still have the house. You've got another month of carrying costs and you have no recourse. So if you can have somebody who's held to a, a standard of professional ethics and state law dictates how they, have to, how they serve you, can you see how that might be in your best interest if you get the same amount of money in the same amount of time, but you're working with someone who has a lot more to lose? And so you can take that back. If you're getting priced out of your own deal, just take it back as a listing. And I'm sure investors on this call are cringing, but I've had it done to me too. Uh, but if you feel like you're going to lose a deal, that's the, that's the beauty of having a license. You're nimble. Got it. Okay.
7: Well, that's good. Good advice. So I've, I've been shooting for a hundred calls a day or a hundred dials. Not every number works, but a hundred dials a day. I don't quite get there, but I get close. And one of the issues that I've been coming across is like, say I'm calling for Steve and I get Mary. Mary is Steve's wife. And then Mary's like, well, what's this? That's my husband. What's that in regards to? And I, I usually just do the exact same thing I would do with Steve. I tell him the exact same way. And they, Not always. Sometimes they're like, hey, here's the number. But more often than not, they're like, no, we're fine. When I did Sandler training, I was told never take no from somebody who can't tell you yes. She might influence yes, but... Two things. One, try to get his phone number from her.
0: (laughs) If she won't do that, go for the appointment with her and him. Because have you ever met a wife that didn't really have social leverage on on her husband?
7: Yeah. I I know that she... influential
0: yeah even if it's tentative and it probably will be she'll be like well i don't know his schedule I don't. okay fair enough well listen i'm calling every other family in town today that, that's going through what you guys are going through so just to, to kind of i'm sure you guys know what we can do to help your family i'm going to give you that spot on thursday night at six could you put that on the calendar and and just let your husband know and if it doesn't work out we can find a different time. But set the tentative appointment. And then, like, as soon as you get that done, ask, you know, ask her a few more questions and find some way to provide value to her. So find some way to show her the benefit of meeting with you guys. And chances are he'll be there. If she won't give you his phone number, get it on her calendar and then employ her to go make sure he shows up.
7: Okay. Okay. That's helpful. And then
5: the previous scenario that you you laid out, I'm going to give you a resource that I use to get listings priced accurately, and that is um, a site called Paradatum. It's a Claris Market Metric resource. It costs like a hundred bucks a year, and and if you ever need to um, show someone uh, clear and concise data to get them to accurately price the house, subscribe for that. So Paradatum is P-E-R-R-A. T A A D A T U M dot com, and uh, anybody that needs pricing strategies and data, it's, uh, it's the best resource I've ever found. All right, go ahead.
7: I I just had a foot in the mouth moment the other day, like I just felt like a complete ass. But so I called on this lady named Lisa something, and the descendant was the same last name, and I was under the impression that it was her her brother. And she was she was like yeah, and Monday I'm celebrating my first anniversary, and I was like congratulations, and she was like, well he died, and I did not know that it was her husband who died, and I I was like well I'm an asshole, but anyway those happen. I I figured I'd share uh, not a success story, but something that I, I assume other people might find valuable that not everything's perfect. I still think it might be a possibility to get the listing thanks for sharing because it show yourself some
0: grace man like there's there's no way you could have known that right and uh, I'm glad you shared because a lot of people try to deduce too much from the data so they look at the addresses they look at the names, they look at very limited data points they have and try to piece together a story and what's the alternative pick up the phone and ask And that builds a relationship. So the the lesson for you here is don't try to deduce the whole story and and figure out the whole story through deduction. It's rare that that would ever happen. And 90% of people are probating a sibling or a parent's estate, not their spouse at a young age. So don't be too hard on yourself, but also use it as a lesson. Like, remember this, the next time you call, it's rare, but sometimes we've had kids. You know, the, the decedent was actually a child who had over a hundred thousand dollars net worth so their estate had to be probated so you, you never know who the decedent might be don't go into a conversation acting like you already know or you know or we're operating on assumptions just go in everyone the same way focus on people and situation and when you understand both then you'll you'll be the perfect solution to all their problems okay perfect thank you
2: All right, guys. Hopefully you can hear me now. (laughs) Despite the tech issues, I think this was, you know, we get 150 people on this call. It's going to happen. We're going to talk over each other. We're going to have issues with the conference service muting each other out. But I think it's one of our best calls ever as far as just the the mindset and the success stories and just some really awesome examples of the way you should and can approach this amazing niche. So as I always do, I want to thank each of you for being here today. I want to particularly thank those that actively participated. We're going to have a real hard time picking of the four success stories, a winner of the week, but we will do that and we will let you know. And I want to challenge each of you, take one idea, one thought One thing that inspired you on this call, go out and put it into practice and come back next Thursday and share your results with the group. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay productive, make it a great week, and we will talk to you same time next Thursday.
4: Take care, everybody. Goodbye.